This is Manukha Talks, our new regular podcast where we take some of the complex issues around motherhood and untangle them. I'm Rifki Dweck. And I'm Friday Zanga. Together, we set up Manukha, the charity for perinatal issues that affect new mothers and by definition, also new fathers. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about birth trauma, the point at which you either become a mother for the first time or becoming a mother again, but still transforming your family. Births can be traumatic, but not everyone is traumatised. So what's the difference? So today we're welcoming Dr. Emma Goodman and Sippy Krauss to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, um, my name's Emma. I'm a clinical psychologist and um, I've been working in perinatal mental health for over 15 years now. Um, I am a supervisor for the team of therapists at Manuka, and I've been with Manuka since um, the therapy team started. Um, and I also work in the NHS in a perinatal parent-infant mental health service. Hi, um, I'm Sippy Kraus. Um, I have been an antenatal educator for the last 14 years. Um, I am a co-founder of Manukha, um, and I am a BTR, birth trauma resolution therapist. I work for Manukha and privately. Thank you. Like we said, today we're going to be talking about birth trauma. And I guess if we want to explore the topic of birth trauma, we have to actually understand what that means. Okay, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's, there's trauma and there's birth trauma. Um, maybe Emma, you want to give really the clinical definition for either of those really. Yeah, I mean, I guess we would think um, of a trauma as an incident where a particular in, in birth is an incident particularly around where um, either mother or baby have experienced a sort of life threatening uh, situation or there's been a sort of perception that either the mother's or the baby's life is uh, uh, under real threat. Um, so there's a real sort of loss of sense of safety um, and a real sense of really severe danger um, at some point. That doesn't have to be during the birth. It could right, be right. during the pregnancy it could, um, or, or in the early postnatal right, period. So a lot of what we see is not just birth. And this is something I get asked a lot. Um, my birth was fine and my pregnancy was horrific or you know, the breastfeeding was really tough. So what we, the ladies that we look after might have had HG in their pregnancy and are feeling very upset about it, not maybe wanting to have another baby and go through that again. Um, It might be pregnancy scares in their pregnancy. It might be, you know, fears, worries, anxieties, plus, you know, moving on to birth issues as well, um, which can encompass a lot of different things. So trauma, as you say, is, is the kind of like the height of it when as you say there's like a, a fear to the your life your baby's life um but there's a lot of sub like we say sub threshold issues that can also impact a woman and create that trauma feeling inside them um and also they're moving on to postnatally so if someone has to go back into hospital with their baby or if they have breastfeeding issues these are all you know all these categories fall under birth trauma and it's we would support all these ladies um with manukha or with btr um care yeah i mean i think it's important that many women will have lots of ways of overcoming difficult experiences that don't require them to come and to seek therapeutic support like they'll they'll have family and friends that they can talk to and they'll have their own ways of getting over things it's really really important that we would 
you know, want to advocate for people to use their own ways of getting support. And I guess we, we'd suggest people come to seek help if those, those normal ways haven't been successful. Yeah. And if they're still struggling with their sort of feelings. And I would say, you know, giving statistics to it, 80% of women will manage to absorb the, you know, the, the issues that they've gone through during their pregnancy or birth or beyond. Um, it will take time. They might talk at, talk it out with friends. They might, you know, maybe debrief with a doula. Whatever it is, they'll, they'll manage alone to to get through it. They won't forget it. And they'll talk about it till they're 60 and 70 and 80. But, you know, the, their body won't be feeling that constantly. And they won't feel the need necessarily to go and seek help for it. And I'm wondering if you can give us just some practical examples of, why, of what might be a, tra- a trauma and what we would consider a subthreshold trauma some practical examples that's yes. interesting <laughs> I mean I guess a trauma would be you know a direct threat to the mother or baby's life so it might be sort of a hemorrhage in the mother post-birth um, there may be you know really severe difficulties or concerns about the baby's health during the pregnancy or or, or during the delivery and um, the baby sort of rushed and to special care on IQ post delivery those kinds of things would be what what may cause uh, sort of a trauma response post post that. that may may because yeah. trauma can be physical but it can also be perceived mm-hmm. or emotional mm-hmm. so what might be a trauma to one person wouldn't necessarily be a trauma to someone else mm-hmm. and it might be that there's five people in the room and one person is traumatized by the experience and the others aren't And it might not even be the mum who is the one who's traumatised. It might be the husband and it might be the doula. It might even be the midwife. So the word perceived is really important because we can kind of like poo-poo someone and say, oh, it wasn't so bad what you went through or like everyone else is fine. But we actually have to remember that it's not about what we think. It's about what they think and how they have, you know, the, the, the emotions that they've been left with post their experience so I guess we would define whether somebody's had a traumatic experience really by the sort of the feelings that they're left with about it and there are sort of three categories of feelings that they they might be left with sort of after a traumatic birth that that would be um, the sort of re-experiencing feelings and thoughts where where memories are sort of intruding into their mind. They're reliving their experiences. They're having really vivid nightmares. That we one. So they're um, stuck. They're stuck, stuck in that. Of, yeah. yeah, going over and over and over, and it's intrusive. It's not not there. It's not under their control. It comes in when they don't want it. So that's one set of sort of experiences. Another set would uh, of experiences we call hypervigilance, which is that sort of feeling of being really on edge all of the time um, and sort of looking out for kind of danger seeing it everywhere um, and sort of you know that that connects to the re-experiencing really because if you're looking out for danger you often trigger memories um, and see see things um, that remind you around of the trauma all over the place and I guess the last sort of um, cluster of symptoms is around sort of avoiding things that might remind you of the birth um, hospitals, doctors, situations that might bring up memories for you. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of three headliners. headliners. And then I guess the lower ones would be things like insomnia, irritability, shame, panic, anxiety. And of course, there's also different levels to each of them as well. So it could be when someone thinks back to their birth, they feel that anxiety rising. But and other women might have constant levels of anxiety. Um, in the background that just affect their day-to-day life so all of it has different you know I I guess 
like I say, different levels to it. Um, there could also be low mood, overwhelm, um, detachment maybe from baby. And I think that's something really interesting because if somebody goes through a traumatic experience, um, let's say they've been in a car crash, they can live their life happily, unless it was on their street, <laughs> they can live their life happily not going back to that area where they had the car crash and they can kind of put it in the past. It's in, you know, especially if they were on holiday or somewhere else, it's, it was behind them and they don't need to think about it again. But birth is attached to a baby or is attached to a future pregnancy. If it was a miscarriage or a loss, it's attached to a future pregnancy. Um, you see babies all around you. So you can't just detach from a birth trauma. Mm. And that's why it's so important to get the help because it can be really sitting on your your day-to-day life. Your baby is there. Every time you, a woman might look at her baby, she might be brought back to those feelings and experiences. And then that touches on other issues of bonding with the baby. So um yeah I think that's why I think it's also that you know a new mother's got so many demands and tasks and that 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 are required and if you're feeling low or anxious um easily overwhelmed it's really hard to get on with your day-to-day tasks and it can you can find sort of all of life becomes a bit overwhelming so are we right in saying that birth trauma will affect somebody's functioning (laughs) <laughs> I get those levels, yeah. those levels. And, and I think it depends on how a woman's managing themselves. So, you know, somebody can go through what we might set and what sound like a, a really traumatic experience and work through it with the support of their family and friends. So I guess it's what a woman's left with yeah. afterwards that is really And that's important. what I mean, that the, if they're left with something which is then causing them yeah. to act in a different way or diminish their functioning in a different way, we can safely say that it is perhaps they have suffered from a birth trauma. Yeah, but even that won't necessarily... So women who I've treated in the past won't necessarily have their day-to-day functioning um, limited. So some will. And others, it will be, like you say, they'll be stuck. They won't be able to move on from that. So they might want to have more children, but... Be, yeah. be too anxious to go through another pregnancy or go through another birth. So in that way, it won't affect their day-to-day life, but it will affect their progression in life. And so then someone could, could technically give birth, have a birth trauma, and then kind of stick it at the back of their mind, push it into the corner, and it might only come up again when maybe they're next pregnant. Two, three years later. And then the whole thing will resurface. Yeah, they might suddenly start to worry about yeah. the birth coming you know the future birth or or it may prevent a woman from wanting to consider having another baby yeah but 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 maybe not in a way that is actively affecting her day right so it wouldn't affect her but the, the idea of having another baby or going through another birth could be that's where it kind of that come is in. where it affects yeah. her so it, it is affecting her somewhere but i'm still not clear on the sub-threshold trauma versus trauma you don't in a way we don't have to be because we're not going to be diagnosing we will be accepting whichever woman comes into us Mm -hmm. and listening to her and seeing what she's experiencing how she's experiencing it and how it affects her and managing those symptoms so a diagnosis is not really so necessary what we're lucky with is we work as, as as a large team of therapists so we will have a discussion as to who will support that lady in the best way possible with what she's presenting as so a diagnosis is not that important I think I I Um, agree I think it's much more about somebody's level of distress if somebody's feeling distressed and upset or anxious or low or feeling overwhelmed in the postnatal period and and they think that that's linked to an experience they had during their pregnancy or in in their birth or in the early postnatal period then I think then then we would say come and we've got 
you know, we've got ways of supporting and helping. And I'm going to say a phrase that Rifki loves. So I'm going to get a smile from you. That often when you think about trauma, instead of thinking about all the technical ways to describe it, you can just think of the, the few words too much, too long. And if that applies to you, then it could be that you need help. So then it's different for each person. Exactly. Because for each person, too much could be something different. It could be throwing up the whole way through a pregnancy. And for that, for, for, for that one person, person that's, that's the overwhelm and that's too much. And for another one, it could be something else. And it's actually interesting because as an antenatal educator, um, I sit down with all my women um, and I often go through my own birth experiences quickly. I don't need to you know, bore them. But um, I watch them while I'm telling them my experiences. And my first baby was actually twins and it was um, a cesarean. Uh, my next one was an epidural. The next one was a water birth. And the next one I gave birth in the car. Sorry, what? Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, and as I say that, I look at their faces and I, I literally, I, I watch their mouths drop. And then I say, and I was with my mum and dad. And then their mouths drop even further. Um, and in my mind, that was one of my best births. I, I, I don't enjoy giving birth in the hospital because my first was a C-section and there was so much, they, they were so overwhelmed, it was so overwhelming and there was so much that they had to you know, like every time I go into hospital, there's I'm high risk, so there's so many checks and you know that the cannula and all different things that they have to do for me. So, not actually being in the hospital was amazing for me. Maybe we wouldn't advocate for that no, position. Yeah. But... <laughs> Absolutely not, and especially for the safety levels. And and thank God my baby was well and I was well. And I always look back and I say I'm okay with it because we were both well. Um, and my mum was calm. She'll be happy when she hears this that she really was a massive support for me. Um, but I, I, another person going through the same situation might need to come from, to Menucha for um, some birth trauma therapy because for them that might have been a really, really upsetting, distressing situation where they felt out of control and they felt their life was at risk and their baby's life was at risk. Whereas for me, it was a beautiful experience. And that's what you mean by perceiving. It's yeah. how the person perceived their trauma. Um, and I think someone, just some of the calls that we get in, they'll say, but it, you know, my baby's fine and I'm fine. And it wasn't a med, like no one understands why I'm feeling like this because, you know, there was nothing medically. I, I gave birth vaginally. I was fine. But yet I'm left feeling with this immense un, unsettling feeling, as they say, um, and they feel unheard as well. And then that just doubles the trauma even more and even more. Um, so really that idea of it's how somebody perceived their birth and what feelings it brought up for them and how individual that will be is really really important it is really important yeah. and I sort of when people say that I just get a sense of somebody feeling really alone yeah. and not really understood with yeah. with how they're feeling right now and and maybe that was sort of mirrored in their birth experience that they didn't feel quite able Absolutely. to reach out to people and explain what they needed or wanted in, in that moment. And, and Manuka really can hear, hear people. And I think if anyone who's listening is um, supporting a mum who's just given a baby, you know, pay attention to this. And when you're listening to the mother's experience, rather than saying, oh, but you're fine and your baby's fine, so you'll be okay. I had that. That happened to me. You know, um, whatever the story is, oh, I also had that. Or my friend had that. Or, you know, oh, everyone has that. And we tend to think it's our rite of passage. We yeah. have to go through, a, you know, a tra- well, we can go through a traumatic experience without being traumatized, but, you know, that it's, you know, it's something we all do. So just get on with it and you're fine and your baby's fine, but it's not helpful. Um, and they won't be able to get over it just by being belittled. Um, and, and that's like you say in hospital that's often a bigger part of the trauma than the actual experience itself and when I have women sitting with me 
they sometimes describe their births to me and what I think is the traumatic part of it um, I was hemorrhaging or you know the baby's heart rate slowed down or, or something like that I, my heart starts to kind of beat faster and then they tell me but what was most upsetting was when I was telling them that I couldn't breathe and they weren't listening to me or or even loneliness loneliness is massive so especially in our culture where we have Shabbos and we might be alone or Shabbos especially COVID that yeah. that's massive people were very very alone um, and there's a lot more trauma going on with COVID births than other births but that loneliness can lead to you know has led to a lot a lot of um, women who feel um, well, well traumatized and upset by their births but um, so again it's not always the situation it's about sometimes what what was going on and the support that they had around them and I think, and I'd, I'd like Emma maybe to expand more on that, because sometimes it can also be a bubble up of lots of things that have happened to somebody in the past. So, for example, if someone has a history, for example, of not being listened to, and then their midwife has not listened to them, it will sort of all, it, it's just like a last straw, isn't it? Um, and I'm wondering, Emma, if you can expand on that, if there is anything to expand yeah, the, on that. I, I mean, I think it's, and this isn't the case for everybody. For some people, the experience they had will just be related to the, that experience but um, I think sometimes we think that the bits of trauma that stick that really upset us and really stick in our minds are, are linked to maybe experiences we've had before so like you said Rivki that um, experience of not being listened to or feeling alone when you've had other experiences in life and then you 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 in your birth you 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 in your birth you have this experience of um, feeling alone and it it brings up that feeling again this sort of repeated feeling that nobody's there for me or I'm alone and that that can really um, interfere and really stick in your mind as a a difficult moment. Coming off the back of that it can also it can also happen moving forwards so what happens in birth can then trigger feelings like we said can trigger feelings afterwards so feeling alone on Shabbos and maybe having a medical situation that you had to deal with alone can then trigger feelings every Shabbos afterwards of loneliness, of panic, of fear. So it can then, you know, always, you you know, your life can then always move back to that birth and be sitting on the back of that experience. So either it can be sitting on previous historical um, upset that can affect the birth itself, but then the birth can moving forwards affect your life in different ways, as we've been saying until now. I was wondering now if we could just move on um, to Emma. What happens in your brain when you experience birth trauma? So I guess um, when you've been through a trauma, um, the part of your brain that recognises threat sort of gets switched on and gets stuck in a switched on kind of position. Usually we only switch it on when we sense some sort of danger or threat but it gets lodged in the sort of stuck, stuck on position and it doesn't it doesn't receive messages from the other parts of the brain to say everything's okay now you don't need to worry it just stays on all the time so you end up with this constant sense that something dangerous is about to happen um, and 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 in that state you feel kind of nervous anxious you're constantly sort of aware of sounds noises uh, scanning around to make sure things are okay um, so I guess link to that when you've been through a traumatic experience um, the memories get stuck in the emotion center so when you're feeling very 
uh, frightened all the time because your alarm system is sort of your threat system is stuck on the emotions and the memories are connected um, in a way that doesn't normally happen usually our memories take take their place in our sort of memory storage system but in trauma uh, the memories end up staying in the emotion center and they, they're stuck also in the emotion center so you get this horrible interplay of feeling under threat all the time and the th- and and that triggers the memories and you end up going around in these big loops where you feel under threat it brings back lots of memories that makes you feel more under threat which brings back more memories so you end up in this horrible it's kind of cycle. vicious cycle of, of memories popping into your mind all the time because you're feeling under threat all the time I think what's also quite helpful there is you know obviously there is still unfortunately a lot of shame and stigma um, for women that are struggling mentally in our community but what you're actually saying is this is almost like a chemical reaction within your body that you have no control over Um, and I think it's you know just like some people have to take um, iron tablets because their iron stores are low or the iron is low during pregnancy this is just something else that can happen in pregnancy that affects you know the chemical balances in your brain and I think that could be quite a helpful way of thinking of it yeah. for people. There's a, a, a brain response yeah. to an overwhelming, an overwhelmingly unpleasant and dangerous situation. A healthy brain response. A healthy brain response. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a really, if you think about it, quite a normal reaction to something really, really frightening. And if it doesn't happen, yeah. then it's then it's an issue. So it's normal that when you're in a traumatic situation, your adrenaline should kick in, your your blood should go to you know the vital organs, and that's a healthy way of dealing with trauma. But if that doesn't subside when the trauma's over, that's when you're stuck. Just the last thing I wanted to say about that is that when your body is in this very threat-oriented position all the time, it really affects. Um, the sort of part of your brain that can help you think through and plan and organize so it can become really difficult to do the normal tasks of living because you lose the capacity because your brain is in a threat state you lose the capacity to kind of do the normal organizing and so people can feel like they're very easily overwhelmed they can't do the normal planning and organizing in their day-to-day life that they you know we that we always do having long lists of things that we have to get through and they can feel very overwhelmed by just those sort of tasks of planning and organizing because they don't have access to that part of their brain it's switched off when the threat state gets well, I guess that serves a purpose because when you're in threat, you act and organising and thinking through things is something that would happen before that. For yeah. example, if you would watch a child running out into the street in front of a car, you're not going to be busy setting your handbag down nicely. You're not going to be thinking about your shopping. You're going to drop everything and run into the road because you're hyper-focused on the emergency in front of you. Um, and like we say, that's a healthy reaction if you are actually in a dangerous situation at that moment. So once the situation's over, it you know you would want your body to go back to your normal, regular um, state of equilibrium. Um, just to add to that, if we go back to like the subthreshold trauma, not everyone will feel that on a day to day basis, but it will it will kick in as they have associations to birth. So let's say they had uh, a blonde-haired midwife at birth. It could be that every time they see a woman who looks similar, it will bring them back to that time and place. Or it could be a feeling, a feeling that they have that will 
come up yeah. in them a, an emotion that then triggers the the memories you know it can be either way it can be something that's associated out in the outside world but it can also yeah. be something inside themselves but I was just going to say women are often left feeling really worried about themselves like they're going mad when these are actually feelings that they can't help and are a result of an overwhelming experience and it's really important for people to not feel ashamed about that and to seek help they're not going mad they've just had an experience that is too big for their body and mind to manage and and for others they also have to allow them to feel this and to realize that it's not helpful to tell them snap out of it or it's not logical at the big talk that we did which was a big awareness day that we did in november last year you had an amazing virtual reality analogy and I thought maybe can sort of give it more of an image so we had their virtual reality headset and we were asking people to put it on and it took them so let's just set the scene here for a second they're standing in a big hall with hundreds of women around them their friends on either side they can hear their friends I was standing there they could hear me talking and they had put this virtual reality headset over their eyes so their eyes were covered and they were viewing an image in the headset um, and what we did was we took them up a lift in the headset in a multi high rise building. Um, and they felt like they were standing inside this lift and the doors opened and in front of them was a plank leading them out of the building on the 89th floor. Um, out the window. Out, yeah, like the, yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the lift yeah. was opening to the outside yeah. world. Um, and they could see around them the birds and the trees and the and very low, you know, very far down below was the cars. Um, and we were asking them to walk along that plank onto the open sky and the open air. And to be honest, I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't do it. It was ridiculous. I kept saying to myself, this is ridiculous. I think Yaka was like the only person that did it. Yeah, men sometimes (laughs) manage. And there were some women. I was standing there watching you all do it. And I'm like, hello. You're like, just. There's nothing, they walk, you're on solid ground, you know where you are. My heart started like... You're in the room. Exactly, and there were physical reactions. And the women who did it, we asked them, first of all, we watched them, and you could see their face going red, you could see them starting to shake and to panic, you could could hear their their, their breathing going a lot faster, Um, and sometimes they took a little little step, a tiptoe, and if their friend would come and like jolt them, that was petrifying, and you watched them really panicking. Um, and we asked them afterwards to record how they were feeling physically um, and emotionally, actually. And, and they would say high levels of anxiety, physically felt very hot. Um, all the symptoms that you would get when you're in a really, really dangerous situation. They and they knew they felt sick. Yeah. And they knew they were in a safe place on solid ground. Yeah. They could hear everyone. So it, when someone goes through a traumatic experience and they're left with tra- trauma symptoms inside them, it's real. It's not, these symptoms actually happen. And it happens to us kind of, you know, often in our life that we don't even, we don't even realize. So for example, um, I have ants in my house at the moment, not very exciting. And we got an ant guy to come and to put poison downstairs. But my daughter started screeching and yelling from her bedroom. She found some ants on her bed the whole night. Well, I was in my bedroom, which is not so near to hers. I was itching and I could literally feel legs crawling along my hands and I would wake up and take a light and there was nothing there, but I would, I would genuinely feel it on my body. Um, and I was itching and I would wake up the whole night, just itching and scratching yeah. and these ants are, and yeah, I'm watching you scratching and shaking things off your hands while we're talking yeah. because when you're, when you feel something and when your, your brain tells you something, 
you have that physical reaction. So your threat system got activated by that and you started to scan yourself, scan yourself to, to look out for the threat in the environment and that yeah. threat was the ants. And so you start to you start to check your body to see how yeah. it's feeling and then you notice a little scratch and you, you start yeah. itching. You're right. And it, it could have just been some, you know, you know something around me from the pillow, just, yeah. just tickling the end. It was an ant in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... You know, even if, if someone has never had trauma before, they, they will often have felt something like this before. Talk of lice will make them feel itchy. These sorts of feelings um, we can relate to yeah. and we will accept in somebody else. But often we won't allow them to have those trauma feelings and we'll say, like we said before, you're safe, your baby's safe. Why are you feeling like that? Whereas they have every right to feel like that because they haven't managed to deactivate their trauma system inside and I them. I guess it's just a wish, isn't it, to let somebody know that they're okay, but it's not what somebody needs in that circumstance yeah. it's like what? that dismissiveness oh yeah. you you had an emergency set i also had one yeah but on the one hand one was absolutely traumatized from it and the other person she had it and she got over it yeah. it's sometimes very dismissive when you kind of share your story with your friends and they go oh i had that or oh my sister had that and you want to you you want to feel you want to be listened to, to, be listened to. so then how do you treat it if someone does have a birth trauma you know it's gone on as you said to be too too long for too much for too long or what what happens next that's a really um really yeah sort of interesting thing so I, I guess what we would do in Manuka is an assessment to try and understand exactly what's been going on for somebody and to think a little bit about what they're left with um you know so that we would tailor any intervention and any help to make sure it was right for that person um, but fundamentally, the first thing we would do is work to kind of calm that threat system down to switch off the alarm in their minds so that they can start to feel a little bit calmer and safer in the world. Um, that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing, if needed, would be to sort of work on processing some of the trauma memories and to let them take their place sort of back in a memory store rather than staying attached to the emotions in, in the body. That's often something that would come to me and that yeah. I would deal with um, within the realm of BTR, birth trauma release therapy. Um, and the way that it works is by working with the subconscious, which always makes everyone get very nervous. Um, but we often we often slip into our subconscious without knowing it. So it's not this scary hypnotizing, I'm going to make you, you know, moo like a cow. You like visualize <laughs> all these magic shows yeah. straight away. Um, it's just really working on... on you know, kind of like the the mind more rather than the conscious level. And the reason why we do that is because when someone slips into trauma, they have very black and white thinking and their their mind is not always switched on, like you said before. They hyper-focus and they slip into their subconscious while they are in that traumatic experience. So one of the easiest ways to then help them out of it is by going back into the subconscious and supporting them while they're in their subconscious it will often be quicker and easier to deal with it um, in that way when I talk about subconscious it's the type of subconscious that we all go into very often in the day it could be called daydreaming Um, it could be that time when you're driving somewhere and you end up there you're driving to Rota and you end up there and you're like I have no recollection of doing any of the maneuvers or getting here but you've arrived Um, it's that's the level of subconscious that we're talking about um, and with BTI, it's usually quite quick, um, between three and six sessions. Um, but as we say, it's, it's a multidisciplinary re- approach. So um, I might then, you know, have a chat with the client and say, well, 
there might be some more support you could do with and we'll then go back to Menucha and work out which other therapist uh, might be able to support them in another way to help them with other emotions or feelings that they're having maybe alongside the trauma. I think there's no no one way fits all and we would make sure that a sort of support was a sort of um, guided by what somebody needs. Um, but there's really sort of usually, you know, three processes that go on. One is sort of calming an alarm system, stabilising somebody, helping them to feel calmer and more in control again. There's some part of sort of processing trauma memories um, to help them take their place in the sort of memory store. And then the lastly is just trying to help them feel more empowered to feel a bit more safe in the world um, and to find their place back in the world again. So... You know, we talked before a little bit about maybe women who are feeling uncertain about having another pregnancy um, and, you know, helping them to find their own journey back into the world again and what they want to do next in life moving forwards. And we can we can support birth trauma two or three years down the line, even if someone doesn't want to have another baby again. Um, It doesn't always have to be attached. Um, and, And again, it can be a few years down the line. It doesn't need to be that month or two after birth. And I would say actually too soon after birth is also not the right time to be dealing with it because your body will go through its own processes and it's important to allow that because we do have our own natural resilience and our own ways of dealing with with um you know issues and and things that hit us so it's important to let the body manage it and work through it in yeah. your own personal and way. To use and all then. of the resources around you, to lose, exactly. use your family and friends and yeah. to, to, to you know, trust in people to help you um, and to come to Manuka if, if you're still left with things. I guess that's why it's important for family and friends and, and people to know that actually when someone is sharing their story with you, don't just go... Oh yeah, I had that. Be be exactly. supportive. Yeah, yeah. Let them say the story. Yeah. Sympathize with them. Empathize with them. Maybe if you've if you've been in that situation, but don't like be again and again and again. As many times. They yeah, if they want to share. You know, um, people who say you know, you, you, sit, you sit a group of women together. What's the first thing they're going to talk about? Their birth yeah. stories. Yeah. And that's how a lot of women just get it out of their system. But it's I guess for people who let's say haven't experienced anything traumatic, it's important to know that the person next to you actually might have, and this is their way. Yeah. Of trying to get it out yeah. and by saying something dismissive or a bit silly maybe they you know feel shut down that they, they, they could feel shut down and and just a word to each each woman herself be kind to yourself and allow yourself to be important as well because I get women who say to me oh well my experience was nothing compared to others and you know what right do I have to come and take Menuch's resources or um, you know it it wasn't really a trauma I'm just left with x y and z Mm -hmm. so allow yourself to be supported yeah and to be Um, helped yeah because what we know is that we can really help women overcome these experiences and really get them back on you know the right track in lives you know the where they want to be Um, and it it, you know, it doesn't have to hold them back from their futures. It's a shame if it does. It really is. And, and rather get help than let it fester and sit there for too many, you know, for too long. Um, and just one thing we didn't mention, sorry, because we've been talking about the fact that we are, we have a multidisciplinary approach and we um, might, you know, discuss who might be best for each lady. We always make sure that you are 100% comfortable with the therapist before assigning one. Some of you may not know about Manukha and may only be hearing about our services for the first time. We take confidentiality very, very seriously. That means that you do not have to give your name or any personal details until you are 100% sure that you want to receive the help that the Manukha program provides. 
If you call through the info and referral line, the only thing that is taken is a number. And what happens is the case manager will call you back the next day. We, we try to do it within 24 hours, but sometimes it is 48 hours. And you can explain a little bit more about what you want and she will explain what Manukha provides. And then that call can be completely anonymous. You do not have to give your name or any personal details until you are 100% sure that you want to receive that support. Even pre-case manager, they're asked if they're okay with their case manager. Yeah, so when they call originally, we let them know who's going to call them back. So yeah. the person who they first originally speak to say, you know, um, we have two or three case managers and this is their names and they're going to call you back. And you can at that point say, actually, whoa, whoa, whoa not her. She's my neighbor or she's my friend or she's my sister. There's going to be someone who you don't know on our team. We take a little bit of a step further because we live in a small community and we know that you may end up with a therapist or, we, you know, there is a chance the therapist that we think would be the best for you could be your next door neighbor or someone you in school with, etc. So, um if I've taught someone as an antenatal teacher and they don't want to come back to me for birth trauma, then I won't even know that they've come into Manukha and that they've rejected me. And there's a little bit of a step further than that. When you come into Manukha, you are assigned a case number and you are only referred to as a case number in anything that we do at Manukha. So that means the office and accounts and also within the clinical team. When we have clinical discussions, because we are a multidisciplinary team, only your clinical number will be used and the only person that knows your name or any personal detail is your case manager and the therapist. Um, so I just want to come back to the point where you said, you know, use your family and friends. Um, unfortunately, not everybody will have that level of understanding in their home. And although we will say to them, wait, for example, six to eight weeks, see how it how you man yeah how it manifests see if you are left with anything but don't hesitate to call us in the meantime like you can talk to us we're you know we're there we've been there and therefore we're very happy to speak so it's not like you're left on your own just give us a call we're there to speak to you um, and sometimes just that listening ear can be very helpful to begin that process um, how many women call us and say i just think i'm crazy or i just i must i just must be crazy and you're like once you explain to them you're not crazy and this is a chemical reaction or or you've just been through something huge how can you know it's you're you're giving it you're having a very normal reaction already there they the feedback then we get is i've just felt so much better talking it out so even if you don't need to be seen by one of the therapists or by you know you sippy at the btr room just talking it through with one of our personnel and you don't have to give your name can be very 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 helpful i guess manukha can be the family and friend yes yeah. you need yeah. it that's what we're there for that's what we're there for thank you very much sippy and emma it's been really great to have you here if you'd like to continue the conversation with us or learn more about what we do or maybe even how we can help support you don't hesitate to get in touch with us you can reach us on 0300 222 5764 or if you prefer not to speak to someone you can email us at office at manukha.info